All right, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 today, if you want to jump there in your Bible, Isaiah 40, chapter 40. So it's a favorite passage of scripture for myself. All right, Isaiah chapter 40. Well, summer is just flying by. Um, you have to enjoy it while you got it, right? The humidi- humidity was a little brutal yesterday, the last couple of days, but if you don't like it, just hang on there for a while. All right. All right. I've been telling the message this morning, sore. So this summer, I've been asking people, just how are you guys, how are you guys doing? How are you feeling? Um, just to get a, a sense, a barometer of where people are at. It was roughly two and a half years ago that COVID kind of came on the scene. And we would like to have, you know, I was thinking it was going to blow by in like a month or two, right? I remember that, and it, it didn't. It actually became something that was pretty significant. Uh, impacted our economy, impacted how we live life. And it was around long enough that it has changed us in a lot of different ways. All right. And I think a lot of us felt like treading water. You ever treaded water, right? How many took swimming lessons? And that, in order to pass your, your final day, to pass the course, you had to tread water for so long, right? You remember that? I, I did anyway, right? You know, and you tread water, and sometimes you, it's like you're keeping your head above water, but the longer you're doing that, it becomes more difficult to keep your head above water, right? You get tired, you get weary in that. And I think that's where a lot of people are, are at right now. We survived COVID. And it's kind of like, okay, now we can get out of water and we can get put our feet on the ground. And now we've gotten into other challenges, whether it's the economy and just high prices, or maybe there's other things happening in your life. And so it's like we didn't really get a break, right? And we wanted to re- kind of get replenished and renewed. Maybe we're hoping for just kind of a little bit of a break there, right? And now, and we got other challenges, Right. Um, that are facing us. So, um, so some of the responses I got from people is that they're just tired, and others are being very selective and how they're spending their money. Maybe they're going out to eat less. Maybe they're traveling less, staying closer to home, right? Um, and so, a lot of this is coming out of our our season with COVID, and the research that I've seen pointed to, especially like with leadership, so with pastors or other leadership, but even just everyday people is that where we would see the repercussions of COVID would be two and a half years later. That's where we're at. That's where some of the stuff really begins to surface in our life. And it can impact our marriages, our relationships, how we live life. It impacts all that, okay? How we look at life. So in the book of Isaiah, um, they were also facing some challenging times. So I don't know if you've ever read through the whole book of Isaiah, and I'm not going to go into a great deal there, but it's like 60-some chapters, okay? And the first, like 37 chapters, 36 chapters, are before Israel goes into exile. So there's some significant events in the history of Israel, and one of them is the captivity, their exile in Babylon, okay? And very significant thing. And so these first several chapters like verse 37, deal with that time period. I think it's maybe 36, okay? And then there's a little historical interlude, they call it, and then you go into the post-exile time. So Isaiah in this first part is writing to them before they go into exile. And because of that, it's kind of like 
Come on, Israel, get your act together, right? Turn or you're going to burn, right? Really a lot of compassion there, wasn't there? No. Um, But it was very, when we think about judgment or prophetic, it had that edge to it. Not a lot of compassion. It was kind of like, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. But the words of Isaiah and and Jeremiah, contemporary prophets, would go much unheeded. And then Nebuchadnezzar would come in. They would destroy much of Israel. They'd destroy the temple. Many people were killed. Some would survive and would be taken as captives to Babylon, relocated there for 70 years. All right? So then verse chapter 40 of Isaiah, though, it changes. The tone of Isaiah changes. Some even think it was a different writer. I still believe it was Isaiah writing it before and after, and he's writing prophetically. And it's in these last 20-some chapters that you have a lot of the prophetic words about Jesus the Messiah, not only pointing to that he would, we read from Psalms 52-53 that is by his stripes we were made whole, and he was he took our suffering upon him. One of the most vivid descriptions of the crucifixion of Christ that we have, and it's found in the Old Testament, written by Isaiah. Okay, but it's in that second half. So we see, uh, we see those prophecies that are there about Jesus, the Messiah. There's these uh, suffering servant um, passages within the book of Isaiah. So 52, 53 is one of them, and there's five of them in all. And they talk about the servant that would come to serve Israel, but also the people of God, all right? But there's a difference. There's compassion. There's love. It's an endearing. The, the tone of the writing of that part of Isaiah is much more endearing because now they're coming out of their 70 years of exile. They're coming back to Israel that's been laid bare. It's been 70 years, but... Their homes are still in a wreck. The temple was still in ruins, and they're coming back. They're set free from their captivity. Yay, right? But it's like coming out of COVID. You're coming out of COVID, and all of a sudden you realize, okay, I'm out of COVID, but now there's all this stuff that we've been putting off that we haven't taken care of, or maybe there's other challenges that lay before us. You following me? So that's where they were at. And so if you know your Old Testament a little bit, it's the same time as Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, Ezekiel. Those are written around the same time period. All right. This morning we're going to look at this first chapter, Isaiah 40. It's actually this first where we see this transition to there's a difference in the writing of Isaiah. All right. So before we do this, bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this, your word that is able to speak life to us. Um, encouragement, hope, your promises, Lord God. We thank you for that. And Father, I pray in these moments we have that you would speak to us and that your spirit is here. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive from your word this morning. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Now my iPad only has 18%, so when it's done, it's done, okay? All right. Okay. Let's look at this. I'm, I'm going to take my time reading through this, and I'm going to make share some comments as we go. So follow along with me if you can, either up there on in your copy of God's Word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. She's done her time. She's served her sentence. Okay? Her sin has been paid for. She's received from the Lord... Lord's hand, double for her sins. 
verse 3. So this is prophetic. Okay, I'll read it and then you tell me who it speaks of. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who is that prophetically speaking about? It's quoted in the New Testament. Jesus, but who who is the forerunner for Jesus? John the Baptist. He was the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Verse 4, every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places plain. You notice the old roads often followed the contour of the landscape. But when they put in new roads, what do they often do? They take out the high spots and they raise the low spots. Why? So it's not as much like this. It's a little more level. That's what God has promised to do for Israel. Take off the high spots and raise the low spots. Your path is going to be level. Amen? And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 6. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. What's he talking about there? The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Sure, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord of our God endures forever. And so we see a comparison there, right? And this, again, is recorded uh, in the New Testament. I believe it's in in, uh, Hebrews. Okay, it's quoted in Hebrews. But it refers to that God is eternal, right? But we are like the grass of the field and the flowers. They're here one day and they're gone the next, right? They're green in the spring and now with this heat, maybe it's getting a little brown, right? The flowers bloom, they look so beautiful, and then they fall. That's, it points to all the seasons of our life as well. So he's referring to our, our human limitations that we will not live forever. Also that even our faithfulness isn't quite as faithful as God's, is it? God's is consistent and faithful. And as much as we would like to be faithful, how many have failed God? I'll raise my hand. Yeah. We have good intentions, right? But sometimes our faithfulness just isn't enough. Verse 9. You bring good news to Zion. Go up to the high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. So, um, this is some of this is quoted again in the New Testament. Lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, and do not be afraid. Say to the sounds of Judah, here is your God. So some of this is referring to when Jesus would come, proclaim the good news that Jesus is coming, right? Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See the reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. So some of this is now even pointing to the second coming of Christ where he's going to come and judge the earth and redeem Israel. He tends the flock like a shepherd and he gathers the lambs into his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Now what is that a picture of? Jesus in the New Testament would call himself the what? The good shepherd, right? And think about that time that the kids were, were running around and all of a sudden they came and they hopped on his lap and the disciples said, hey, you kids can't be here. We're security, right? You don't belong here. And Jesus took him into his arms, right? 
And he held him close and he says, such is the kingdom of God. Let the little children come to me. So all this is referring to what Jesus would accomplish. Some is, was accomplished, some is still yet to be. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? You know, mine don't hold very much. But God. Or the breath of his hand marked off the heavens. You know, we would be doing that for a long time. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed out the mountains on scales and the hills in a balance? So these are all rhetorical questions. And the answer to them is no one, right? No one has except for God. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Are you going to give wisdom to God? I know some of you have tried, right? You know, our wisdom's a little better. And God, how about this, God? Wouldn't this be the best way, right? Yeah. Verse 14, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him who, or who taught him the right way? And who has... Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. You know, I taught the book of Isaiah in Jamaica, and I was amazed, amazed how many times the word island is referred to in the book of Isaiah. It's cool. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. What is that about? Well, Lebanon is where they got their their timber, their lumber. It was just vast forest. So they would get it from Lebanon. But you know what? Lebanon didn't have enough wood to build an altar for the mighty God. That's what it's talking about, right? nor animals to sacrifice. Verse 17, before him all the nations are nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless, less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? You see, that was the problem with idolatry, and that is one of the reasons why Israel would go into captivity, because one of their most prolific sins was idolatry. They'd make the calf for Baal and the pole for Ashereth, and these were all fertility gods, so they wanted better crops, better livestock, bigger families, right? So that they, they could survive in a very uh, hostile and unforgiving land, okay? The, the, the climate of Israel is very, very um, reliant upon the rains at the right time. If the rains weren't there at the right time and the, all that, you didn't have good crops and things didn't materialize. But who, what, what kind of image are you going to make that's going to capture who God is? A bull may show God's strength and power, right? But it doesn't show his compassion or his love. And the reason why idolatry is forbidden is because no image can capture all the virtues and the characteristics of our God, right? Verse 20, a pr- a person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. North Pole maybe, huh? No. 
above the heavens. And his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. He reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner have they planted, no sooner have they sown, no sooner have they taken root in the ground that he blows them, blows on them, and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. So it's just referring to just the things of our world we think are so permanent and so undestroyable, and yet they're nothing compared to who God is. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal that says, says the Holy One? Verse 26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them forth, each one of them by name? Wow. You ever looked up at the sky at nighttime? It's one of my favorite things to do. It's a little more easier to do in North Dakota. And you, those North Dakota skies are just pretty hard to beat. And they just came out with this new, they're releasing new photographs from a new s- telescope. How many saw those? Just incredible, right? They're trying to capture what God created. Verse 27, why do you complain, Jacob? And why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by my God? You ever felt that way? God has bigger things to do. He doesn't know my cause. He's forgotten about me. That's why Israel fell. They've been taken to the woodshed, right? They came out, they, their head was dragging, and their tail was between their legs. Any other expressions I can use? Right? And they thought God had forgotten about them, but he hadn't. And he hasn't forgotten about you. He's very aware of where you're at and who you are and your needs. Verse 28. Do you not know and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. Verse 29. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even young people grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, And the Lord will what? Will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amen. Let's look at a few principles here before we go today. First of all, in discouragement, God is the lifter of our head. The people of God... These Israelites had been set free from their captivity. It was a joyous, it was a happy thing. But as they made that long journey from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, back to Israel, maybe taking two, three months to get there, and they come back not to their homes that have been all remodeled and decorated and built. They come back to dust or maybe it totally demolished. Or maybe somebody else had moved in there and taken their place, right? Other enemies and people had settled in those places. And so they're tired from their journey, right? You know what it's like to make a long journey and you get home and then it's kind of, oh, I need to do this, right? And you're just tired, right? You just want to rest. And now they had other things that they had to 
had to do. Um, trials in life can serve a purpose. For Israel was to discipline them for their sins and to perfect them. So their time in captivity would totally remove this tendency towards idolatry within them. They never, Israel would never again deal with idolatry. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't deal with sin. And by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they were into legalism and they, they thought they'd do all these things and they had kind of lost contact with God, but they didn't struggle with idolatry. It had been removed from their life. Trials in our life serve the same purpose. They perfect us. Sometimes it takes the form of discipline. Okay? Other times, it's an opportunity for us to trust God more and develop our faith muscles. You know, right there, right? To develop those muscles. Why? Because trials are necessary to trust God. You know, Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. I never did like getting a spanking. So my folks were old school. I did get spankings. All right, I wish I could say I never got a spanking. I think you talked to Amy. I think she got spanked once. Can you believe that? Not me. I was a boy. All right, got my share. And I can tell you no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen? But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness for peace for those who have been trained in it. You know, COVID and the financial times, and you can throw in some of the other things that have been happening in our world. Some of those may not had nothing to do with, hey, I'm that I sin, but it maybe had to do with the, the condition of our nation and our world, and that maybe God's trying to get the attention of our nation and our world and say, hey, turn back to me. You're drifting too far away. So sometimes it's not always about us. And Americans, we tend to look at it's all about me, right? And sometimes God's working in our nation, but it means that we also struggle under that. And then in the process, God is also refining His people, His church. Amen? But He's going to produce a harvest of righteousness within us. I will say it, it's easy to become discouraged in these times. We say, God, have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten my case? You know, sometimes it's like you call in, you've submitted a claim and it's kind of like, okay, did it get lost? Did you fall to the bottom of the list? So you call again, right? We can become discouraged. and when So discouraged really means we lack the courage to move on, right? To live each day with gusto, to dream. We're discouraged. Our head, instead of looking at the horizon, the challenges and the things that lay before us, we're right this, right? Right? We're discouraged. We lack the courage to live each day. We're just existing. And God spoke words of comfort through Isaiah. He knew that they were discouraged from their time of test and trial. But if you read through these latter parts, these latter chapters of Isaiah, he says, Awake, arise and shine, because your light has come. And there's these encouraging words and these words of kind of like, he's trying to shake them and say, Hey, look what's before you. You're set free from your captivity. I know you're tired, but you're, there's good days ahead. There's good days ahead for them. But you know what? There's good days ahead for us as well. Amen? 
Jesus is the good shepherd that cares for his people, especially in times of discouragement. David found out that God does not desert us in times of discouragement. Psalms 33 says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory, the one who lifts up my head. You know, when you sometimes, if you've had young kids, you know, they hit failures and life's not fair, right? And you can always tell because there they are, they're looking at the ground, right? They're sad, they're hurt. And so as a parent, you go and you encourage them, right? Or you speak what they need to hear, and then all of a sudden they perk up and they're looking straight ahead again, right? You can see it in their eyes. And you know what? As adults, we do the same thing, don't we? Yeah. You can tell when we're hanging our head, right? God is the lifter of our head in times of discouragement. Amen? Number two, in times of trial, we discover his unlimited power. And through this chapter, you see the comparison of men and our limitations and, and God who has unlimited power, unlimited wisdom. There's no comparison, right? And in times of trial, we discover our limitations that, you know what, I can't do what God can. And there's a limit to what I can do. And it's there that we finally, we, you're kind of like, oh, God, I can't take it anymore, right? You ever had that prayer? And God says, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. I can't kick this thing on my own, or I, I can't do, oh, there's too much stress, or there's this, I can't fix this. And God says, yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. I'm here. It's then we discover God's unlimited power. And I, and I can preach this, but I don't like it when I go through this any more than you do. Okay? You know, and I, in your 20s, you think you're invincible, right? You remember those days? <laughs> Some of you are there, maybe. Enjoy those days. We were moving some heavy furniture, and my wife found this good deal, and it was a great deal. It's kind of like I picked up one of the things, and it's kind of like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> my back hurt just looking at it, all right? Solid oak. I mean, it, it's pretty stuff, but it just made my back hurt looking at it. But we got an Andy there and Carlos and these younger guys, and I pitched in. I did okay. I feel it today. But when you're young, you, you kind of you feel that a little bit invincible, but the older you get, the more you realize you have limitations, right? You have limitations. But regardless how young we are or strong we are, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, we all have our limits. And this world will deplete you at times. And it's going to push you beyond your limits. pushed Israel to their limits. I got home on Thursday, so I had a long drive home, got home, and we had to go look at this furniture that my wife found, and and that was probably the last thing that I wanted to do, is go do that, and then I was just tired, right? I was tired. Israel was tired, and maybe you're tired as well. 
Zerubbabel is a great character in the Old Testament, the same time period. And so he was given the task of rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed. And it, the temple was Solomon's temple. I mean, David had all the resources, but God says, you're not going to build it because you killed too many people. And so Solomon just he- didn't hold back. It had gold. It had the finest of everything, right? It was a beautiful building. But it was all destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar came in, they took all the valuable gold and all the rich stuff. They took it back to Babylon, destroyed the temple. I don't think there's anything left. The foundation was there, but everything else had been destroyed. And Zerubbabel then was, you have to be able to pronounce that before you leave today. Okay? He was given the task to rebuild that, but you know what? He didn't have the budget that Solomon had, that unlimited balance budget and he didn't have this workforce and some of you know Solomon used some slave labor and stuff like that he didn't have those resources he had volunteers that were tired <laughs> that were depleted and he says now now you're going to rebuild the temple and Zerubbabel is just looking at this thinking how in the world are we going to do this it seemed too big and the smaller temple would it, the temple they would rebuild wouldn't be Solomon's temple. It would actually be smaller. I did a message on this earlier this year. But it had some special things because Jesus would enter that temple. But Zerubbabel is kind of like, man, there's just no way I can do it. But Zechariah speaks to Zerubbabel, a prophetic word, Zechariah 4.6. And he said, this is the word of the Lord for Zerubbabel. It's not by might. It's not by power but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen? That this temple will be rebuilt. And they built it in record time. Um, well, the walls, and, but even the temple. They had a pause in the middle there, but God would allow them to rebuild it for his glory and for his honor. And see, it's in these moments that in times of trial we discover God's unlimited power. Amen? And God says in Hebrews, he says, you know what? We are to come boldly before his throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And sometimes that's the last thing we do instead of maybe one of the first things we should do. Just kind of like we should learn our lesson, right? It's kind of like we should know our limits and say, God, I need, it should be one of the first things on my list. Seek God about this, right? Instead of being the last thing where we say, you know what? God, it's a mess. I can't do it. Last principle. In trusting God, we soar. I want to look at these last three verses here, 28, 29, I guess 4, 30 and 31. Let's go to 29. Well, he does not grow weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youth, youths, there we go, grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That word tired there in the Hebrew means failure through the loss of inherent strength. You ever just worked, and you've worked 
you know, you can start off and you got all this energy and all of a sudden as the day goes on, like yesterday, it was just kind of a brutal day. And so we moved furniture in the morning, mowed the yard. And, and I kind of got to supper time and it was, my strength was gone, right? And, and so there are times in life where we just push, 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 and we run out of steam. And sometimes we can fail. We don't succeed because we just, we run out of steam. It's beyond us. Tired. I think a lot of us, if you've lived this life for very long, you've had that experience. You've just, you've reached the end of your limitations, your strength, your power. It could be emotional, it could be physical, spiritual, whatever. You're just tired. You've reached your limit and beyond. Weary points to, some of these Hebrew words are used interchangeably here, but weary points to exhaustion because of the hardness of life. Wow, doesn't that just talk about what we've went through with COVID and stuff like that, and, and now with the financial. It just kind of runs you down if you're not careful. You become weary. Israel was weary. They were tired. You know, sometimes that's what life does to us. But here's the promise that those who hope, some of the translations may say wait, the idea is that those who hope in the Lord. So it's it, to have trust or confidence in God in regards to your future. Those who hope in the Lord. That you can trust God with your life and that he's going to take care of it. Can you trust God with your life? Yeah. John says Yes. Sometimes we get pretty anxious and worrisome because we don't feel God gives up to the task, myself included. But God, it, that to hope in the Lord means that we trust God and we have confidence that he's, He has our future. He knows our case. He knows what's happening in our life and that God's going to walk with us and we can trust Him. That word renew, it says renew your strength. It means to have fresh strength. You know, sometimes you get really tired and you sit down and maybe have that lemonade or iced tea. or But you just sit down in the shade and you, you catch your breath, right? And all of a sudden you get that second wind, right? But that's that idea, just that you're refreshed, you're renewed. New strength. And they will soar. They'll rise above like eagles. They'll rise above life's problems. They will run and not lack strength. They're not going to get tired. And they're going to walk. They're going to have that consistent strength so that they won't be weary in times and difficult times. Amen? That is the promise for Israel. And that is the promise, I believe, still for us today. That in trusting God, we soar. I want to close with this last one of those images that were given, the word pictures. So it talks about the eagle soaring, running a race, and walking down the roads of life. Amy, if you want to come. I want to go with that, the soaring one. You know, an eagle is a powerful bird, isn't it? That's one of why, because it's one of our, you know, why we've chosen it to be one of our emblems. You know, we didn't choose a turkey, all right? They got beautiful plumage, right? Not always the smartest bird in the world. Uh, but they can be beautiful. But we chose an eagle. Why? Because of the power and strength that it manifests, right? Um, 
But you know, when an eagle soars, are they going real fast? What are they doing? So how are they flying? What's keeping them up there? It's the updrafts, right? See, an eagle that soars has learned to soar on something that's not in their own ability or of them. It's They're taking advantage of those updrafts. And I, I, what I see in us as Christians many times, we don't have the mentality of an eagle. We have it of a robin or whatever, or a hummingbird, right? We're going really fast, right? And we get tired and we get weary. But an eagle has learned that Hey, I need to use my wings to get into position. But they get into that position and then they soar. And then they flop a little bit to get in position again and then they soar. But it's a beautiful image, isn't it? That those who hope in the Lord will soar like eagles. It allows us to catch our breath. It allows us, it talks about trusting God and His Spirit. It's not by our might or our power, but it's by trusting Him and His Spirit. Soaring involves partnering with God. It means praying, taking that time to pray and to, to worship Him. Man, what about worship? When's the last time you just imparted your prayer time or whatever? We have worship here, but I'm talking about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Are you worshiping God? But you don't understand, Pastor, is this gone and this gone? Yeah, but He's still the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's still worthy of your worship, and I can guarantee you, if you just take a few moments where you're at and just worship Him, it's going to change your day. And you say, but Pastor, we don't have Miss Amy on the piano and our other worship team that's usually here. Yeah, you don't have to. You have a beautiful enough voice that you can worship God right where you're at. You know what? And if you just take those moments just to worship Him, maybe a song that we sing that you know that's precious to you, God's presence is going to fill that place. It's not dependent upon... We've become far too dependent upon some of the technology and, and the worship experience. And I think heaven's going to be great. I don't know if they're going to have guitars, pianos. I, I don't know. But I have a feeling it's going to be the people of God with their voices, folks. Just worship God. Amen? Having a Sabbath. So you're here today feeding your soul and your spirit. We need that pause. God knows how we're designed and how we're made. And trust Him. We deplete a lot of energy because we worry and we're anxious. Myself included. And we have to trust God. Amen? Would you stand this morning? I, uh, this was a very much a prophetic word for the people of Israel. But I believe... Uh, I think, man, it's a very timely word for us right now that God is speaking to us, His people, still today. Amen? 
I'm going to have a prayer of salvation, and then I'm going to just a prayer over you all. But would you join me in a prayer of salvation, especially if you haven't made Christ Jesus the King of your heart and Lord of Lords, and know that your sins are forgiven. I'm going to invite you to pray with me, us, this morning, prayer of salvation. Saying, dear God, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and make me pure. Fill me with your presence and your spirit. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Lord God, and I just pray over your people this morning. You know each person here this morning. You know their cause. You know you know what is going through their mind as they came through these church doors this morning. You know the burdens that we they were carrying, the victories this past week, but also the valleys, Lord God. You know each one. And Lord God, as we come through and we gather here today, Lord God, you, you know our cause. And Lord God, you also know our limitations, and you haven't said that we have to do it on our own. You said that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And Lord God, we need your presence here this morning. We need you to renew us in our body, soul, our mind, Lord God. And so, Lord God, we're inviting you to come by your spirit and to meet each one here this morning. And you know the need of each person, Lord. So, Lord God, would you come? Would you come? and meet with us here this morning. Come.